There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. The law of the Spirit of life has redeemed us from death into life. Now we walk in His freedom. We are the children of God. No condemnation. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. The law of the Spirit of life has redeemed us. Death into life now. We walk in His freedom. We are the children of God. How do I wake you up? All right, we didn't plan this, but uh, Tree, Mia, why don't y'all come on up? Throwing them, I'm throwing them a loop here. We're going to do our emotion song. Grow, grow, grow. I need some help. I didn't even tell them about this. Give them a hand. Give them a hand. Just coming up, spur of the moment. 
All right, Zach. I wanna go, go, go into all that you have for me and show, show, show how your love has set me free and go, go, go tell the world so they can see you're amazing. Never gonna let me go. Shout it out, you are my God. Shout it out, my Savior has set me free. Not to ask, but for you. And again, shout it out. Shout it out, you're never gonna let me go. Shout it out, you are my God. Shout it out.
this is my family, if you guys didn't know. Teresa, Mia, and uh, Cece, helping with the motions. <laughs> Threw a curveball there. Um, if you're visiting this morning, we want to say welcome. We usually don't do this, but every now and then we do. Um, but yeah, if you're visiting or if you're in the room and you want to stand and worship with us, you are more than welcome to. You do not have to, but you're more than welcome. Uh, something we say every week, if you're uh, joining us in on the internet, um, don't be a spectator. Don't just sit there in your living room, on your couch, wherever you're at. Actually join in with us this morning.
y'all will stand, those who can, and let's read the scripture together. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most.
come, oh come, let us adore, behold the light of the world, it takes away all I sin, oh Do we have a video? As ball rides off in the sunset, I sweep the snow from my doorstep. I just can't help but stop and grin. It's like I'm 10 years old again And everywhere I go I can feel it Some say it moves like a spirit It falls on us once a year Like it came on a midnight clear It's all love this season is a gift When love came down to last then Let's open up and let our hearts embrace this moment For Christmas this year We're gonna make a sound, gonna make it loud For Christmas this year we're gonna make some noise, let the world rejoice For Christmas this year For Christmas, for Christmas this year And the laughter starts before the sunrise I sneak downstairs to sparkling eyes And oh what joy it brings to me The family around our Christmas tree And I thank the Lord for his favor As we sing the songs of the Savior Make it loud for Christmas this year We're gonna make some noise that the world be 
Thank you guys so much. I, uh, you know, I get, I get a chance to do lots of things in the community and, and go to benefits. And so I see you guys everywhere, volunteering and serving. And then 75 of you last week were willing to come up here and help us load up those trucks. What did it say, 10,700? Is that what it said? 10,000. That is 10,700 individual children and family across the globe that will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and I'm telling you, they do not give out a box without the gospel presentation in a way that ministers to people and then invites them to a follow-up of uh, 11 weeks of, of discipleship. And it is such a wonderful evangelism tool. So this next year, you're going to get, if you volunteered or brought a box, you're going to get like 750 e emails and letters from Samaritan's Purse. Check out some of, the some of the videos that you see because you were a big part of that, and I want to thank you for that. Uh, it is... Uh, Probably the largest evangelistic, intentional evangelistic international ministry we do as a family together outside of supporting missions and different things. And uh, Chastity Overby and Robert Grimes oversee it, and they do a phenomenal job. So appreciate their hard work. And uh, we had to order a third truck this year, so that was quite incredible. So thank you so much for all of you. I do have a couple announcements. First of all, did anybody have anything weird to eat for Thanksgiving this year? What'd you have? No, you were at my house. <laughs> I got to admit, though, this year's turkey was not good. I don't know what happened. It was, it was a butter ball, which is usually pretty good, but it was like 15 pounds of bone. It was just, it was just false advertising. It was just lame. It was a lame bird. So, but we don't really eat turkey that much, so next year maybe we'll just do a real fat ham wrapped in bacon. Man. So, but... Uh, I didn't think that was very funny. They did, but I didn't think that was very funny. Did anybody eat anything unusual? Seriously? It's East Texas. It's East Texas, I know. How, you, a lot of you had brisket, right? How many of you had turkey? Now keep your hands up. How many of you, keep your hands up if you have it more than once a year? Aren't we weird? There's like a dozen of us here that eat it more than once a year, but we sure put a lot into that bird, don't we? And you know the trick is, in case you're wondering, although unless you have a, a thin butter ball, on, obviously, you pull the skin up and you put butter inside of it. By the time you're done, there's nothing good in it for you, but it, it, it tastes good. But anyway, I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. And, and uh, I, you know, Christmas, it's, it's on us. And we're going to have such a great season. Um, we're going to end our study of Galatians next Sunday. And then the following Sunday, we'll start, believe it or not, our three weeks of Christmas. I'm doing a series called Emmanuel, which is three weeks, and I know it's like, oh, it's on Jesus' birth. It's on a lot more than that. Uh, we're going to do, and so I want to encourage you to be a part of that, whether it's online or in person, uh, and uh, that'll take us to the new year. Anyway, we're going to have a, a great holiday together, and we're glad you're here, and if you're watching online, we have a Christmas Eve service we'd love to have you come and join us for, and uh, just be a part and celebrate, and remember that if, you're, if your latte comes cold or not sweet enough, would you just bless the people by just saying Merry Christmas and spend $10 again at another time? You'll get it, they'll get it right. So, but just remember that our, we celebrate the risen Lord and all that, and, and I just, I, I, the risen Lord, him coming, that song that we just sang is so good, he gets our pain, he gets our frustration, and for a lot of our family this year, they're going into the holiday season with an empty seat at the table, because a loved one went to be with Jesus. We've had a lot of death in our church this year, and uh, so let's remember to pray for each other. In light of that, this Wednesday night, everything starts up again today, and this Wednesday night, Adults, we have a, an adult Wednesday night Bible study 
cookie and decorating party. We're going to turn this, the decorating doesn't take very long, but we're going to turn this into Christmas in here and in the welcome area. But we want to encourage you to bring your favorite cookie to share. Uh, and somebody said, do they have to be homemade? No, they can be homemade or store-bought, but they have to be your favorite. Your favorite Christmas junk. So plan on, and yes, if you, if you must bring leftovers from Thanksgiving, I, I don't care. Just don't bring turkey. So uh, there's that. And uh, I do have a, so if you're visiting with us, would you bear with us a moment? Because we do have a business meeting thing to do. Uh, this la- uh, we had our annual business meeting two weeks ago, and there was a, mis- a mistake on the names of our deacons for mission investment team. And so we were not able to vote that night for that. We're going to do an, uh, a vote right now. Uh, who were, uh, Linda Langston and Jeff Anderson were both nominated. If you're a member of the church, would you raise your hand, please? Just put your hand up. If you, uh, if you how am I going to do this? If you are for them, put your hand down. <laughs> I'd have made you feel so silly if you'd have kept your hand up. Okay. <laughs> So we'll put that down. They've passed, and they will join. So for those of you who don't know about our business, we have one annual business meeting a year. We vote on the budget for the following year. Our annual year goes from December 31st, midnight, or sorry, January 1st, midnight, through the next year. So we voted on the budget. That passed. We voted on all of our deacons except mission investment team because of an error that I made, and, uh, and we just voted on that. So we have our officers in place so we can get back to serving the Lord and celebrating him together. Very, very excited about Thank you for the nomination process, uh, family. Thank you for being involved. We had so many nominees this year that were so good. It is wonderful to have a room full of people that can serve the Lord as elders and deacons, and, and uh, we're very honored to have uh, Linda Langston and Jeff join our mission investment team. And, and, uh, so, all right, let's, let's pray, and then we'll jump into uh, Galatians. Father, we thank you for your word that doesn't return void. Thank you that we're just a family, and, and we meet in this room with, with great lights and internet and all that, but the truth is we can meet in a living room or as you did often under a tree at the side of a river and just worship you and just learn about you. And so I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the book of Galatians, the letter that Paul wrote to these churches and how it's been powerfully impactful in my life and I know of others. And I pray that as we, as we wrap this up uh, next week, I pray that we would never forget that we are not to work our way into heaven, nor are we, uh, Father, nor are we to indulge in our flesh, but we need to follow the Holy Spirit's lead in our life. Uh, so again, thank you for this morning. Uh, we ask you to bless our time together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The churches in the region, region of Galatia that Paul is writing to in the letter that we've been studying for the past few months uh, are churches that he actually ministered to on his first and then also his second missionary journey. Most of these are Gentiles who were led to Christ by Paul. Uh, this predominantly Gentile region of Galatia was very religious, and we don't want to forget that because that makes this fight against legalism that we've talked about even more powerful. I want to remind you that every Gentile, you are very, whether you know it or not, you're very familiar with the Roman, Greek, God, uh, polytheism idea because you studied it in school from Zeus to Hermes. They had multiple gods. Athena and each community back in this time, had their own god or goddess that they worshipped, plus they had temples to other gods as well, but each, each community would own its own god. And the goal of worship in the Roman times was to do enough good and work hard enough so that eventually that god might be pleased with you and you'll get whatever you want. Now, now take note of that. If you do enough, 
If you pray right, if you worship right, those gods you hope, whether it's the God of the harvest or it's the God of fertility or whatever that God was, if you do the right thing, if you plug in the right pieces of religion, you eventually get what you want. Well, the churches of Galatia had been led free from that by the message of Jesus Christ through Paul. They had come to know that there is a God, who, but this God was different because this God had proven himself through supernatural means, through messages, through the risen Lord. And I want to remind you that this is within the time frame of Jesus' resurrection. If the, if the people who had seen the resurrected Christ weren't alive, surely their children were when these are written. The last book of the New Testament that we have was written in 80 AD. Okay? 80. Jesus ascended into heaven, rose from the dead, died, was buried, rose from the dead, and ascended into heaven around 33 AD. So you're only looking at about 55 years. So if the, uh, many people were still alive who had heard of the risen Christ, not just in the Jewish regions, but in the Gentiles, because I want to remind you that the Roman leadership was very upset when the tomb was empty because it made them look bad and the, and the centurions and the leaders were afraid they'd be killed. So the message of the risen Christ had been spread throughout. And Paul brought the message that this risen, risen Lord that they had heard about or many of them had personally seen. This resurrected Christ not only needed to be pleased by them, but didn't want to be pleased by them. He sent his son to die on the cross so that they could have a relationship with God. This really wasn't about hell. It was about having a right relationship with the one true God. When Paul came with that message, they were overwhelmed that they didn't have to seek God, but God was seeking them. They were overwhelmed by that. And they received it with great joy, the Scripture tells us, Galatians tells us. And, and they accepted his offer to adopt them through the price of the sin, of the payment of their sin. So Jesus died on the cross, they accepted it. And I want to remind you that Paul's message of the gospel was consistent. In Romans 3, 21 to 25, Paul wrote himself what his message was. God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. I want to pause there. This was always about being made right with God. No matter how many evangelists you've heard tell you that you don't want to go to hell, do you? And, and nobody wants to go to hell. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's okay to talk about hell to reach people for Christ. But the truth is, this is about being made right with God. And God has shown us a way to be made right with him, with him without keeping the requirements of the law. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone sinned. We all fall short of God's standard. Yet God, in His grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life shedding his blood. And this blew their minds. This blew the Gentiles' minds that they didn't have to find a way to please God. And part of their worship was self-beating, bleeding, sacrificing of children, people that they loved, part of their own worship was painful. And now they find out that the God of the universe, of the resurrected Lord, sent him to die for them. It blew their minds. And it, it, it was true then, and it's still true today. And I want to begin this message by saying 
that if you don't have a right relationship with God, you will not find it in a church, you will not find it in religion, you will not find it in, uh, in good works, in trying to outdo your sin. You will only find it in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. And if you have never accepted his offer to forgive you, it's not a religious move, it's a personal move. Reach out. Tell him right where you're seated in your home. You can say, I know I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness for that. I accept your gift to forgive me. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Please don't let religious groups convince you that you, uh, that, that, that religious activity saves you. It doesn't save you. And you know it because it hasn't even saved most of our religious leaders. They struggle with adultery. They struggle with breaking the law. They struggle with lying. They struggle with stealing. And if they can't save themselves, they can't save you. Jesus Christ, though, came to save you. Unfortunately, over time, having accepted this message, within these churches, they were no longer blown away at the gift of God. I would argue that as we enter Christmas, we get overwhelmed with lots of stuff about Christmas, and we like the manger too. But we're no longer blown away by God. And I, I want to tell you that as Julie and I were talking about this Christmas season, as I met with Jeff and, and Chad, and we talked as a staff, talked with Adam as well and Alicia, I want us to be blown away by God by being reminded who was that baby that went down the birth canal. Because I don't think we really remember that. I mean, I think we know it, but I don't think we know it. So that's what this Christmas is going to be about. Who was that baby? Really, really. Who is that guy that we're familiar with his face? That people want to argue, is he white or black? Who is that guy? We're going to talk about that a lot. But unfortunately for the churches of Galatia, they were no longer blown away. Like Adam and Eve in the garden, they wanted more than just trusting in God. They wanted to become better and wiser and more spiritually self-sufficient. So, they were easy prey for some teachers that came from Jerusalem that told them that while Jesus wasn't really a problem, he also wasn't enough. That in order to be truly spiritual, which was a problem in Roman thinking and Gentile thinking, because there were the spiritual haves and the spiritual have-nots, they, they were told that if you wanted to be part of the spiritual haves, you also have to be circumcised keep the holy days of the Jewish tradition, and then on top of that, understand the law. And the letter that Paul wrote to the churches of Galatian region was in response to their flesh-feeding false religion and can be summarized in Galatians 5, 5 and 6. We who live by the Spirit eagerly wait. Okay, we've we got to stop there for a second because if I don't stop, we're going to read right by those two words that are really weird. How in the heck do you eagerly wait? I mean, if you're eager for something, you go for it, right? But we eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness of the... <laughs> Did you catch that? That was an after-bad turkey righteousness. <laughs> the righteousness God has promised us. Don't change it yet, Kevin. Look at that. But we who live by the Spirit, which is the point of this letter, don't live by the law, live by the Spirit who lives within you. Let Him guide you and direct you. We who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive the, by faith the righteousness God has promised us. 
In other words, we still struggle with sin. We still battle with our flesh. We still sometimes don't struggle with sin. We, we willfully sin. But we are waiting by faith for the righteousness God has promised us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there's no benefit then of being circumcised or uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. If you've been with us in our study, you've heard this over and over, but today I want to take special note of that last line of the verse. What is important is not that you're religious, and we can take circumcision and add any religious law, the Ten Commandments, uh, going to church, lots of good things. But what is important, Paul says, isn't religiosity, but actually faith expressing itself in love. I would consider Galatians 5.13 a doctrinal summary statement for Paul's whole letter. Look at verse 13. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. And I've been preaching on this, so I'm not going to go back over it. But if you haven't been with us the last few weeks, very important do you understand about this freedom. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. And we talked about that last week, that pendulum, remember? Instead, though, so instead of penduling, penduluming, which is not a word, but I'm making it a word, getting legalistic and feeding your flesh by being self-righteous like Eve and Adam, or going the other way and saying his grace is sufficient, so I'm going to indulge in my flesh. Instead of doing either of those, satisfying your flesh, instead, you should use your freedom to serve one another in love. Let's not stop there, though. I want you to see how he ends his thought in verses 14 and 15. For the whole law, which they are obsessed with, can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying each other. I guess it's fair to say that there was more going on in these Galatian churches than just legalism or a false doctrine or a false gospel. But they were actually devouring each other for those of you who've lived in the church your whole life and you've heard pastors say, I, I wish we were more like the New Testament church, I guess we're more like the New Testament church than we like to pretend. They were devouring each other. Before we get to Galatians 6 and talk more about this love thing he's talking about, I want to remind you of a super important truth that somehow gets back burner press in the church today. And it's Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. And I, I know you know this because I, I talk about it all the time. Why? Because I want you to understand this. You are not here to time out your life. You're not just here because God had enough power to save you but not take you home. There is a reason why he saved you and I and left us here. And Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 actually explains it. It says, by, God saved you by his grace when you believed. Yet you can't take credit for this because it's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece as opposed to our own masterpiece. If we're spiritual masterpieces, it's not our own work that made us that. It's God's work is what he's saying. He created us anew in Christ Jesus, so, there's a so there, circle it, underline it, understand it, so that we can do good things he planned for us long ago. In other words, we are here to complete a task. And that isn't just 
you're here after salvation. But for those of you who've never been anywhere but East Texas, you were born in East Texas, not to time out your life or to have a great family, all fine things, but you are here as missionaries of your new family to do things in this community that's kingdom work. You're, it's, uh, we, are so, uh, we have become, since the 1800s in the church, so evangelism-focused that we almost leave discipleship as an afterthought. And I think the Baptist church has been extremely bad at that because what we do is we put people in a room, we hand them a little booklet, and we do four weeks. We teach them how to read the Bible. We teach them that they need to go to church. We tell them they need to give and other things that whatever that church thinks they need. The problem is discipleship isn't telling you what to do. It's telling you who to follow. Discipleship is an ongoing process. I feel that I am discipling the whole flock of Carpenter's Way Baptist Church and those of you who watch online every Sunday when I'm out the pulpit. That's my goal. My goal is not evangelism. My goal is discipleship, which is why I take you through the Scriptures. Why do you need to be discipled? Because I need to remind you and prepare you for what you do Monday morning at 8.30. That's not just how you feed your family. That's how you have contact with the world. A world, I would argue, in this community that thinks they're saved whether they're Baptist or Catholic or Mormon, people need Jesus, more Jesus, and less church. Because this culture is confused as to what Christianity is. Christianity is not Republican uh, political movement. It's not a liberal political movement. And we've got both kinds of churches in this community. The, uh, being a Christian has nothing to do with what you think of government taking care of vaccines. Nothing to do with that. Being a Christian, biblical translation of that is following Jesus. Following the Holy Spirit in our life as opposed to the law, which many churches do good, or indulging in your flesh, which is a mistake a lot of other churches make. The truth is, the reason we were saved and adopted is so that it would bring us into the family business. And what's the family business? Seeking first His kingdom. I remind you of the Lord's Prayer. May, your, er, may it be done on earth as it's done in heaven. Well, how is that done? Through the body. We are citizens of that kingdom. Why we're going after the first of the year into first and second Peter, a study that we're calling uh, live, living in exile. This is not our home. We're just a passing through. And I did that just like that old southern song. We're just passing through. And, and, and I feel obligated to convince you that as comfortable and wonderful as Thanksgiving was, the problem is this is not your home. This is a temporary place for you. When you accepted Christ's offer to forgive your sin, you were adopted into a new family. When you accept adoption, you reject your old way of life. We put on that new thing, and unfortunately for our flesh, it's an upside-down kingdom we're a part of, and it goes against everything in our flesh. This will come up in a few minutes. It goes against us. When we think about love, back to our text, um, when we think about loving others, we think about loving the lost. We think about letting somebody cut in line of us at Target or, or maybe helping them with a, scry a crying baby or, or maybe paying somebody's grocery bill. But you know, it isn't just that. There's more to love than that. The problem with never growing beyond evangelism is that God sent Jesus so that we could be part of his family and so that as part of his family, we could do the family business. Galatians 5.25 tells us how to do that. 
Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And I've been talking about that now for a few weeks because that's what Paul keeps saying. Paul keeps saying, follow the Spirit, follow the Spirit. And I, I want to take a moment and get super practical as to what that looks like this morning. Because some of you are asking that question. Okay, so if I decide to live by the Spirit, what does that mean? I sit in my living room and just wait for Him to talk? The answer is no. You have a plan for your day. Go about your plan aware that God can change your plans. That's what it is. It is instead of, instead of starting your day on your knees by your bed going, God, forgive me for my sin. Thank you for a good night's sleep. Thank you for, help me to have a good day. I pray that I'd make many sales. I pray that blah, blah, blah. You actually pray a more simple prayer. Today, give me ears to hear what you say. That's as complicated as it is. I never, ever, ever want to get back to telling you three steps to godly living because there aren't three steps. There's one. Following the Holy Spirit. And every one of you know when you are when you're not. Everyone, every one of us knows when we're not. Every one of us knows when we are living in the flesh. Even if we're doing religious things in the flesh. When we're confronting over a Thanksgiving dinner somebody's sin. Because it feels good. Because they're a jerk. And they need to hear it. If I don't tell them off in Jesus' name, who will? And it makes us feel good. Why? Because that's not God, that's the flesh. See, the, the Holy Spirit wants to guide and direct our lives. Well, I've never heard His voice. Have you ever listened? Actually, I'll be honest with you, I usually don't hear His voice before, I see it after. You get a flat tire somewhere, whatever, whatever the thing is. Something happens that you don't expect. Or you end up in a situation where you're talking to somebody and you're like, I really don't want to talk to this person. But by the time you're done, you've ministered to them. And I look back on the day and go, wow, okay, sorry. Didn't know beforehand. And God's going, I know. I asked you to follow me, not to lead me. Did that one work? I mean, the, the, the truth is we do that, don't we? Dear Lord, <clears throat> thank you for Operation Christmas Child. We're glad we get to be a part of it. Now bless these boxes. What if I don't want to? What if I take all 10,700 boxes and they burn in the Dallas warehouse? Have you failed? Well, yeah, no. Because I asked you to do that and you were obedient. Remember that when you were buying the stuff at Hobby Lobby or, or Walmart? Remember when you went out there and you actually prayed for somebody in line or you... You helped somebody out. Remember you did that? That's why I did 10,700 boxes. Not so that those kids would get it. I'll get them another way. See, the thing is, God does everything backwards too. It's upside down. It's not the way we think. And, and, and if you were really able to put your emotions aside, don't you want a God who sees bigger than we do? I mean, seriously. We have a God that we've made so small that we pray knowing His will. We have no idea what His will is. We know in the end how it's going to be. We know how it started. And we know the miss, how the middle got messed up. But we still keep reading into God's plan our will. That's why this letter is, has one simple application if you're not saved or if you are saved. It's surrender to the Spirit's leading. Let the Spirit lead in every part of our lives. And that becomes super important as we move into today's text. I know it's like 10.30. We're going to 1120. No, we're not. It's not complicated. <laughs> so verse 26. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And he's going to explain one area. Verse 26. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. 
Well, of course not. That's all sin. But we do it, and they did it. You know, I can out-preach that, Mark. Everybody knows it. That's okay. This just isn't your pulpit. God didn't call you here. So go get one. Follow the Spirit's leading in your life. He led me up here today. Maybe you think you could, you know, I've been playing the piano for 50 years, and Julie Wilkie's up there playing the piano, and I could outplay her. They should move her aside. Well, maybe they should, but God will in His time, right? Maybe the circumstances... Uh, I, whatever. I mean, I'm just using us because it's easy and I don't want it to get personal. But the truth is that God is in the direction work. And he works through your pain. We've lost some really important people this last year to our church. People we love, and they're all important. But, but you know what? God's got a wonderful plan for the Douglas life, even with Daryl in retirement. Sorry, you guys. I don't mean to pick you out, but I know you love the Lord. Alicia, God's got a plan for you. Or he's not worthy of being worshipped. I didn't say it feels good all the time. I'm sure Stephen's wife was going, uh, did it have to be rocks? I mean, it, it is what it is. We've got to trust him. So we have to be careful not to be conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Dear brothers and sisters, here we go. Now he's going to talk about love. We like love. We love love. Uh, unless it's this. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should... What's the words? Okay, because that, that's super important because if your flesh gets in control, it feels good to tell somebody off. Especially if they're sleeping with somebody you know they shouldn't be sleeping with, right? I'm going to confront their sin because that's what God would want me to do. Do you need a bat to go with you? I mean, is that really... Jump gently and humbly. Help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Now, <laughs> so because Paul is inspired by the Holy Spirit here, he leaves no room for any of us. So take a deep breath because what I'm going to end with in this section, what he ends with is pretty intense. Okay? Some of you, when I made that joke, went, yeah, I don't confront. I don't judge. I think it's wrong to judge. It's hard to judge. That's what pastors and elders do. The problem is, verse 2 says, we share each other's burdens. And he's talking about sin. Share each other's burdens. And in this way, you obey the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Love each other. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're really not that important. I don't like Paul either, but that's funny. I mean, that's personal, isn't it? Don't you love the Bible? Those of you who wonder why I new, use the New Living Translation, it's because it has things like this. I, you don't have to study. It just makes sense. I, I'm sure that this doesn't need a lot of explanation. It's clear. But the bottom line is, folks, we're in this together, family. We're in this together. Those of us who are following the Holy Spirit in our lives, we are in this together. And it is lonely out there. A lot of you, like me, have not stopped watching the news because it's depressing as heck. Even if I watch people in the news that I agree with, the fact is it's, it's frustrating and depressing, and then it makes me mad. And the truth is I'm not looking at God's plan in the world. I'm looking at my own frustration in the world. There are times I get, uh, get frustrated with God's plan. With God's, God's plan for the world doesn't fit my flesh a lot of times. But it's still His plan. 
And the truth is, I need to be reminded by my brothers and sisters that God didn't ask me permission to run the world. He's God, I'm not. Again, wait for Christmas. We're going to talk about that. Emmanuel is not the name of a song that Michael W. Smith wrote. It means God is with us. God. You know, God, God. God, 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 right? God. Like the Holy One. The one who spoke the world into existence, that one. That's the one who's with us. Somehow, that one, who caused a flood that killed everything but eight people, somehow he put himself into the womb of a woman for nine and a half months and then sent himself down the birth canal. No. It was a different God then. He was just, it was, it was, it was, he just took over when he was bo born. No, we believe in life, remember? The moment of conception, it's life. That was the same God who spent fire from heaven on Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding communities. No, the God of the Old Testament is a grumpy old man. The God of the New Testament, that's Jesus. He's nice. He likes everybody. Have you seen the chosen? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I mean, we're not dealing with our big brother, Baptist, evangelical pal, Republican voting, flag-carrying Jesus. We're talking about God. God, God, God. The one that they wouldn't even use his name in the Old Testament as Hebrews because they were afraid of being unworthy to use his name. And in the South, we use his name, OMG, all the time. My Lord. This is God. And we're called to serve each other. There's a story that I know you're familiar with, and it's so funny because we're studying Galatians, which talks predominantly about circumcision and then them keeping the holy days. But it is so funny. Jesus, the last thing Jesus did with the disciples before taking them to the garden is kind of similar to circumcision. You remember that uh, Jesus decided, so the disciples don't have any idea that this is the last night of being with Jesus, right? We know it is the Last Supper. They thought it is just another Passover. And Jesus has tried to be very clear to them. I'm about to be arrested. I'm going to die. It's going to be unfair. You're going to run for your lives. You're going to abandon me. But don't worry. In a few weeks, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to enter you, and you're going to even do greater things in the world than I've done. But they go to the upper room, and they, they, they just think it's a normal Passover until they sit down, and Jesus does something super weird. He actually goes over to where the servant's closet is, and he grabs the servant's towel, and he puts it around his waist, and one at a time, he goes to the disciples and begins washing their feet. Now, I'm not going to talk about all the things. You've heard messages on it. I've preached on it before. But the bottom line is that Jewish servants in a household were not even able to wash feet. It was required that you hire a Gentile servant or slave from someone else or within the community unless you had somebody that was owed you a debt because Jews were, uh, were too high on the caliber to touch people's dirty feet. 
If you want to see what that's like, do you remember when George Bush had a shoe thrown at him? Remember we all laughed? He was in the Middle East and he was doing a news conference and somebody took their sandal off and almost hit him in the head and he showed that he still had agility. Now, we laughed at that in the, in the West because it's like, are you kidding? You couldn't have thrown a rock or a pen or a... But you all understand, that was the lowest form of slander. You're not, you know, they threw their shoe at him. Because in that culture, that's the lowest, that's just, it's just low. You just don't touch feet. So Jesus puts on this towel and he starts washing them one by one. And the room must have been quiet because they're all kind of watching until he comes to Peter when this happens. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? I'm I'm acting. Jesus said, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. If, God, if you ever come to the point where you hear the voice of the Lord saying, you don't understand, just, just shut up and I'll tell you in time, which is what he said to Peter, you should know at that point, it's time to stop thinking and talking. Just be quiet. Let him do whatever he wants to do. He's God, right? Well, Peter doesn't do that. Peter says, no. Peter protested. You will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you don't belong to me. Simon Peter, Mark, Wilkie explained. Then wash my hands and my feet, Lord, all of me. And Jesus replied, silly little Mark. A person who is bathed all over doesn't need to wash, except for his feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. Oh, we're not talking about dirt anymore, are we? Not all of you, for Jesus knew who would betray him. And that is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again, and he sat down and he asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher, you call me Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Story done. But remember, he said earlier that you would understand later what he's doing. So for the disciples, they're like, what? Clean, dirty, okay, we'll wash each other's feet. And what's crazy is for the past 2,000 years, what has the church done? We have feet washing ceremonies in the church. And while there's nothing wrong with circumcision or feet washing, it's completely missing the point. You see, what Jesus was talking about here, when he says to Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part of me, is no longer about having dirty skin. It's about actually having a dirty soul. I will wash you with my blood, with what I'm about to do. But, and you know what? When you've been washed by my blood, you don't need to be washed anymore. You're clean forever. But your feet are going to get dirty. So let me wash your feet. And guys, if you call me Lord and teacher, and I do this, then you should do it to each other. What's he talking about? Galatians 6, 1 to 3. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin... You who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back to, onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same, same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens. What's he talking about? Sin. Look, I understand that when a pastor falls, we want to run him out on a rail. But for too long, we've been running each other out on a rail. I, I don't even know in the Bible where you get when a man has confessed that he's committed adultery and he's repented to his wife, his Lord, and his, you know, why do we bring him up in front of the church? Where is that in the Bible? The answer is nowhere. It's almost like we think we have to shame them. The truth is, we're calling, we're trying to call people back into spirit-led uh, spirit living. You need to get back. If I, if I treat Julie with disdain on a Sunday morning, 
You know, one week, I get it. You don't want to run around confronting people. But if I do this week after week, if you see me disrespecting her, if I from the pulpit begin bad-mouthing my wife, and you're starting to get uncomfortable week after week, one week's a bad week, two weeks a bad, is a bad two weeks, after a month, it's time to confront it. And you go, hey, how's your marriage? It's great. Well, why do you keep beating up your wife mentally and emotionally from the pulpit? That's love. It's not love if you, if you email me, I think you're a lousy pastor. I, a few years ago, I wore a NASCAR jacket, a shirt somebody had bought me. And I wore it because I actually was preaching that morning on putting on and putting off and how you identify with what you wear. And, and, uh, and spiritually, how we identify people who walk with God by the fruit of their life. And, and, and we were talking about that. It is so funny. But somebody on the internet started trashing me because I was desecrating the holy place. And I didn't say anything, but somebody in our church wrote back and said, did you even listen to the message? That's what the church does. We go to, uh, we go to uh, you know, Olive Garden, and not so much anymore, and I'm, I'm, you, you can pick a thousand things, you all know. But, you know, in the times past, you'd go into Olive Garden, and you see Mark and Julie having a, a nice dinner together, and Julie's having a glass of wine. It's like, she's a lush. We should pray for Julie. I think she's been drinking. You know, her glass wasn't full. So let's get all, <laughs> let's get all the women together to pray for Julie lusciousness. She, is lusciousness a word? <laughs> it is to me, darling. It is to me. <laughs> the, the, the truth is, we've done this for too long. We bring families up front and we commit them to the Lord together and we say, oh, it's so wonderful to have babies in our church. But then when they turn around 13 and they're demon-possessed for four years, we go, boy, my kids weren't like that. I tell you what, if my kid did that, I'd have beat him in the next week. Which is why you're in jail discipleship is building each other up and it's an act of love and even confronting sin when done healthy. That's what he's talking about here. Share each other's burden in this way. You actually obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You're not that important. This is so difficult, though, because we've turned the church, and just think with me, into a program, haven't we? I mean, look at this room. Uh, we're guilty of it. I don't, I don't know how else we do it. You can't, unless you buy me a huge house with a huge room, and it'll still look like a sanctuary. I'm open to the new house idea, though. <laughs> the, the truth is, this isn't a program. And yes, it's nice to have lights, and you to sit in your living room, and you guys in this room, and to have coffee, but you realize we don't have, any, have to have any of this to still do this. We can meet in the parking lot if the building burns down. We can, we can meet by the river. We can meet in the park. This is all about worshiping and growing in our relationship with God. But isn't it wonderful to have all of this? It is wonderful, but it's unnecessary. And we have to remember that there are things that are necessary. And relationships with God is one, and relationships with each other is number two. We can't go on without that. I want to make it clear that in this congregation this morning, we have people who are struggling with same-sex attraction. We have people who have been arrested. We have people who have, and, and you don't even know who they are. Why? Because their experience in the church is, I wouldn't tell my sins. Somebody's going to use it against me. And here's the problem. They're right. That's the problem. But we're not talking to the body of Christ in general. We're talking to Carpenter's Way. We've just come through this wonderful study of Galatians where we love the idea of freedom. And then all of a sudden we took a moment to think about also don't indulge in the flesh. And now he's wrapping up his letter. He's rounding third and heading home. And he goes, one more thing, love each other. Because in that you'll fulfill. You want to be legalistic? Be legalistic in love. That's what I want you to do. And by the way, let me get specific. That means 
bearing each other's sinful burdens. Satan's got us hating each other when somebody sins because you've disappointed me. Of course, we all sin against each other. We sin against God, but he never sins against us. And that's what we've got to remind each other of. Life is painful. It's difficult. We do dumb things. And that's why he gave us each other. So that we could build each other up. If you think you're too important to participate in that kind of body life, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. For those of you who are watching online, I am so glad that we have the internet, and I'm glad we can do that. And for those of you who genuinely need to be careful because of COVID, knock yourself out. But this should never be an excuse not to be part of body life. We need each other, and you need us. And we need you. And and it doesn't matter. It, It doesn't have to be Sunday morning. It can be women's Bible studies, which take place several times during the week. It can be men's, men's time out. We're going to start, uh, Clay Alverson is about to start a men's Sunday morning Bible study. There's a women's Bible study on Sunday morning. We have Bible study groups for couples, uh, or not couples, but just, just general ones. We have student ministry. We have Wednesday night Bible studies. We're going to start, uh, John's going to do a short uh, thing this year. Uh, help me out. Dave Ramsey's course on finances. We're going to do, in, in starting in, in January, also on Wednesday nights, we're going to do building a home in, uh, in exile. How, how do I have a Christian home in a, in a, when, when all these demonic, evil things are attacking? How do I build a Christian home? We're going to talk about that because this all comes back to the gospel. We're here to do this together, to keep each other on the road, following and listening to the Holy Spirit. That's what we do. But he doesn't end there. What time I got? 15 minutes. I'll be done in five. <laughs> Lying. I'm <clears throat> sorry. <laughs> Paul continues on teaching how to love each other. Galatians 4, uh, 6, 4, and 5. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourselves to anyone else, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. Micah 6, 8. That's just a, almost a restatement of that. The, oh, people, the, the Lord has told you what's good and what he requires of you. Do what's right, love mercy, and humbly walk with God. In 1 Thessalonians 4.11, he said, Make it your goal to live a quiet life. Mind your own business. Work with your hands just as we instructed you before. His point, don't be a burden on the church. Look, every person within a healthy body of Christ is doing one of two things. There's no middle ground. You are either taking or you are giving. The Bible doesn't give neutral. There's no such thing as just hanging out. Actually, there is. We call them unsaved. But you are either taking or giving. And there's nothing wrong with needing to take. Every one of us in this room, every one of us online at some point or another needs support, financial support, prayer support, encouragement. Every one of us. So get over yourself. There have been times over the past couple years where some of you had people in the hospital and we gave money and a lot of time to you to pay for parking or for gas or for food while you're there. And people invariably come to me and say, Pastor, thank you so much. First of all, it didn't come for me. I'm too cheap. But pastor, thank you. Use this for somebody who's more in need. (laughs) Okay, just let that sink in. I know you've all been there, and I know exactly what you mean. But the truth is, often I'll say, there is nobody more in need than you are right now. Well, I'm doing fine financially. Wasn't the question, wasn't the concern. We just want you to know we love you. So we give it to you. You Give it back anytime you want to me personally. But you know what I'm talking about? We need each other. We need each other. So you're either giving or taking. That's okay. But when you're not taking, you should be giving. 
right? And to give, you need to be in the room. I'm not talking about offerings here. There's a box in the back you can give online. We'll talk about that in a second. But I'm talking about giving. I'm talking about coming in this room not to see if Chad will pick the right songs that you want, but actually to see who's around you who's hearing things that they need to hear. That's what I'm talking about. Actually serving somebody else. Actually coming in here and praying when, you, when, when Mark starts on a rant that you don't like or whatever, instead of deciding never to come back, how about praying for the people around you who needed that rant? God worked through an ass in the Old Testament. He'll use one in the New. I know, you don't know if you can laugh at that. I'm talking donkeys right now. It's true. God uses whales. He uses California, Chicago, Wisconsin. I mean, it took me a long time to get here. He uses people like me and he uses people like you. And just on a side note, some of the time, sometimes I throw provocative things out here for the sole purpose of you having a discussion on your way home. And for those of you, I know you don't have GPS this morning. I was wondering whether I could say that word this morning because there's no GPS and I try to keep it under PG when the kids are in here. I don't succeed ever. But my hope is you'll have a conversation on the way home. Did Pastor Mark say he was talking about donkeys, honey? Donkeys talked? Yeah, let's go back to the Old Testament and study Balaam together. Oh, I'm so sneaky. Okay, I'm going to work on. I'm going to move on. So, there are times when we all need to be ministered to, taken care of, either physically or spiritually, but most of the time we should be the people taking care of others. He's not done talking about how we love one another and carry each other's burdens. Galatians 6.6, 6, those, uh, those who are taught the Word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. Family, it's talking about financial and emotional support for your shepherds. Now, this is really weird. I don't like teaching it. I would skip this over, except that's why I go verse by verse. Because this is the inspired word of God. You have an obligation as a congregation that's well fed by people to support those that are feeding you. To take care of this. Um, I'm, I'm going to say something provocative and you can argue with me modern cultural understanding but the truth is you understand that this is not the house of God, right? You do understand that, right? This is the house of God. Remember, we are the temple. So where's the Holy Spirit live? Here. When we talk about the temple in the Old Testament, it was actually where the Holy Spirit was. This building, this is the home of Carpenter's Way Baptist Church. You see it on the sign. You'll notice that I put that wording. Home of. Why? Because the Holy Spirit doesn't live in here. He lives in here. If this burns down, we'll decide to do something. Put up a tent. We'll build another one. We'll build it ourselves. Whatever. But this isn't this is the temple. This is the place that God lives. And it's important for us to understand that if we want whatever home we want, we support. Whatever kind of teaching we want, we support. That's what he's talking about. Uh, and it's not just here. 1 Timothy 5.17, elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well. And the Greek there means really, really, really well. Like super, super high. I'm teasing. Hey, you can laugh because this is uncomfortable for me. I'm sweating especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. And all God's pastors said, you are not pastors, I'm a pastor. <laughs> First Corinthians, uh, uh, Corinthians 9.14, in the same way the Lord ordered those who preach the good news should be supported by those who benefit from it. So that's another way to love. You take care of each other. You carry each other's burden spiritually. We confront each other's sin in love and humility. Second thing, we support each other. 
Sometimes we take, sometimes we give. Third of all, we support the ministries that God has, the, the blessing of the ministries that God has put us in, those in leadership. And verse 7 to 10 of Galatians 6, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. I love this. What a great ending to this. You know what he's saying? You want a healthy church? You want a loving church? What you sow, you're going to get. God is good because he is faithful to his promises. People are not. You want a loving flock? Be loving. You want to, you, you want to, um, again, please excuse me. This is uncomfortable for me. Um, I know Brad. I'm supposed to preach on this. Brad Bussler one time, is, when he was on our elder board, confronted me. I need to talk about giving more. It's just not in my sweet spot. But the truth is this. If you want pastors that are not overly skinny, then pay them well. If you want air conditioning, give so that there's air conditioning and heating, Right? You reap what you sow. Makes total sense, doesn't it? You want a loving flock? Be loving. You, you, want, a, you, know, you want a healthy staff? Then you, you pay them. And he, and he ends this way uh, by saying you harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what's good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. Bada-bing, bada-boom. Not complicated. But a pretty good ending. I mean, we're going to wrap this whole letter up next week. But isn't that interesting? They may have been struggling with their doctrine, but there were people in the church who were faithful to good doctrine, but still struggling with each other. And he wrapped it up. And I want to say to Carpenter's Way Baptist Church, that's the kind of church I want to be in. And we are committed, Julie and I are committed to giving to this church financially. We are committed to taking care of you. And we are also committed to letting you take care of us. And I expect, and there are those of you who, and I can tell you're just as uncomfortable confronting me as I am talking about giving. So I overplayed it this morning because there are those of you who through the years have said, hey, let me talk to you about something. And I, I don't mean to be judgmental. That's the first line, except that you're commanded to judge, right? And then you end up judging me, and you're always wrong. But the, the truth is I do dumb things. And if you love me, you'll help me become a better husband, a better dad, a better grandfather, a better boss a better pastor. You'll help me learn how to love people better because I am so far from perfect, as you know. You'll help me communicate important things better without being provocative because you love me and you love this church and you want us to, you want us to effectively minister well. But I want you to do the same thing. And so some of these messages get tiring and hard, but they're God's Word. If you want Carpenter's Way to be that church, then don't worry about anybody but yourself and you be that person. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you for your word that's so practical. And I thank you for this book that has so impacted us. And Lord, I pray that we would not only be faithful to the message of the gospel as laid out in Scripture, but we would be faithful also to the one command, and that is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and soul and love each other as ourselves. That means the lost, Father. It also means the found. May we build each other up. May we be better at listening to the Holy Spirit's voice and helping each other listen to the Holy Spirit's voice. And I pray for 2022 at Carpenter's Way, both in-house and online, that we would lift up Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, 
and introduce people to a personal relationship with him, adoption into his family. And now, Father, as we move into a Christmas season, may we not just see you as a baby in a manger, but may we see God humbling himself, born of a virgin, so that we might be his children. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a wonderful Sunday afternoon, everybody. Goodbye, sweetheart.